Thank you, ukulele group. Our ukulele group is so, am I saying it right, ukulele? Right, June? All right. Yes. Mona taught me. They're so legitimate that our uh, ukulele leader is actually in Hawaii right now. So way to, way to play without her this morning. Let's go to Lord in prayer as we get into the word. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning that we can come together as a church family. Thank you for this time that we have every week, the freedom that we have every week to just come to your word, uh, be changed by your word, transformed by your word. And so this morning we pray that we would uh, uh, just let it sink uh, deep within us and to change us, Lord. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Who's ever had to change how they thought about something? Right? Who's ever thought a certain way for years and then realized maybe there was something better? I grew up eating only vanilla ice cream. Plain old vanilla ice cream. Actually, my family grew up only eating one brand, Breyers, plain old, boring vanilla ice cream. But this is all I ate for 20 years, and so I assumed that it was the best ice cream in the world. Somebody said it is. 11 years ago, I met my wife, Megan, and Megan loves chocolate. Megan loves chocolate. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. My wife loves chocolate. So she started to argue with me. We're just dating. She started arguing, no, 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 no. Vanilla is not the best. Chocolate ice cream is way better than vanilla. And I'd say, no, no, you're wrong. Also, vanilla is kind of a Wallace family tradition. You're about to take the name. Figure this out. Come on. Get on board with Briar's Vanilla Ice Cream. But she kept arguing it's better. And we took this argument, vanilla versus chocolate, so far that this was our wedding cake a decade ago. <laughs> if you notice, there's a vanilla side for me and a chocolate side for her because I wasn't going to touch the chocolate. And then one day after we got married, she coerced me into trying chocolate ice cream. And wow, I never knew the wonder, the joy, the chunks of brownies and chocolate chunks could bring to my life? Look, vanilla ice cream is pretty good. But I had thought wrong for years. Chocolate's even better. A lot of us have these things we, we, we've thought a certain way about for years, and then suddenly we start realizing maybe there's something better. And it's hard, right? It's hard when you've th thought a certain way for maybe even decades that, to get your mind around the fact that there's actually a possibility that that thing you like, there's something even better. Today we're looking at the Holy Spirit in John chapters 15 and 16. And Jesus is going to make an argument that's going to be hard for a lot of us to get our minds around. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard because it's a little more important than chocolate ice cream. And I want to warn us, we're going to need to be a little more open in changing our mind than I was about chocolate ice cream. Most of us have had a thought for years, whether we've said it or not, that the best thing for our faith would be to have Jesus just standing and walking and talking right beside us in the flesh everywhere we went. But Jesus is going to make the statement, the argument, that actually there's something even better than that. 
But to start with the Holy Spirit today in John chapters 15 and 16, I want to return, if you were here a few weeks ago and we looked at the Holy Spirit, I want to return just, just briefly and review a few things from that discussion from John 14. There we talked about a couple questions of who and what. Who and what? Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? And today I just want to review those real quick and add to our answers. So we started with that question of who is the Holy Spirit? And a few weeks ago in John 14, we saw three things. The Holy Spirit is God, fully divine, the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Spirit is a person we can know and experience. The Holy Spirit lives in believers through the Spirit. God makes his home in those that follow Jesus. And then today in John 15 and 16, I want to add one more. The Holy Spirit is sent. The Holy Spirit is sent. John 15, 26 is the first verse in this passage. When the advocate comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. We also see in John 16, 13 to 15, that as the Spirit is sent by the Father and Son, he actually speaks on their behalf, on behalf of the Father and Son who send him. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God, is a person, lives in believers, and is sent. And then what does the Holy Spirit do? If you were here a few weeks ago, we had that, that big list, that table of different things that the Holy Spirit did And if you remember me saying, it was just scratching the surface. And so we're coming back to that this week in our passage. We need to add a few more just from our passage of what the Holy Spirit does. What do we see the Holy Spirit doing in our passage? Well, a number of things. The Holy Spirit testifies about Jesus. This is one of the things that the Spirit does. John 15, 26, he will testify about me. The Spirit proves the world wrong. John 16, 8, really there's a bigger discussion from 8 to 10, but John 16, 8 says, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So the world condemns Jesus and his disciples, but the Holy Spirit works to convince the world that they themselves are condemned without Jesus. The Spirit proves the world wrong. Next, the Spirit guides us into truth. Verse 13, Jesus says, he will guide you into all the truth. Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Verse 14 says, he will glorify me. And the Holy Spirit makes Jesus' words known to us. Verse 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This means that the Holy Spirit actually helps us know Jesus' desires for our life. When we go and we open the scriptures, the Holy Spirit helps us interpret and understand God's words. It's incredible. It's incredible. And this is just a short list we come away with in this one passage. So this reminds us, these, these who and what questions, They kind of get us back in that mindset from a few weeks ago, what we learned about the Holy Spirit, and it actually helps us cover a lot of our passage for today. But what I want to focus on this morning is one verse. I know we've got a bigger passage, but I want to focus on one single verse this morning. Like chocolate ice cream for me, it's going to be 
a bit hard for us to get our mind around. It's, it's, a, it's a very interesting verse. It's, it's going to be a, a change in thinking for most of us. But it's one of those verses that if it can click for us, it's going to change how we think. It's going to change how we live. It's John chapter 16, verse 7, where Jesus says this, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. So let's look, let's look closely at this verse. Let's break this verse down. First, we have to remember where we are in John's gospel. If you're remembering from the last few weeks, Jesus has been telling his disciples, guys, I'm about to leave you, and you're going to face some serious opposition. And then in verse 6, Jesus said, because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So Jesus begins this verse, verse 7, by saying, but, guys, I understand you're sad that I'm leaving, but, but, I have good news. Then Jesus says, very truly, I tell you. That's pretty redundant, right? Very truly, I tell you, what I am about to say is really, really important, guys. It's going to change how you think. Listen up. Then Jesus says, it is for your good, or it's to your advantage, it's to your benefit that I am going away. If you're thinking about these disciples sitting there, they're probably thinking, how on earth is it good that you're leaving us? How's that a good thing? Jesus answers by saying, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. It's good I go so the advocate can come. Advocate is the Greek word paraclete. It's a, a title for the Holy Spirit. It, it means that the Holy Spirit is our representative, our counselor, our helper. And Jesus says the Spirit can only come after he goes away. So, of course, question is why? Why can the Spirit only come after Jesus leaves? And there, there's a few good answers. The first is that as long as Jesus is standing there in the flesh, visible right in front of these disciples, it's going to be really hard for them to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit who is immaterial and unseen. And then also, Christ had to die before reconciliation was available to, to, to us. And it's only after reconciliation, only after salvation that we receive the Holy Spirit. And so uh, the Holy Spirit, ha Jesus had to die and be sacrificed before the Holy Spirit came. But Jesus' bigger point here is that it's actually for their good that he's going. So that this advocate, this Holy Spirit can come. So this is the whole point of the verse. The Holy Spirit living in us is better than Jesus standing in the flesh beside us. The Holy Spirit living in us is better than Jesus standing in the flesh beside us. And then Jesus ends this verse, ends this statement with this promise. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
So this is what Jesus told his disciples. This is just an incredible verse in verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The coming of the Spirit will more than compensate the disciples for the loss of Jesus' physical presence. The Holy Spirit in us is better than Jesus in the flesh standing beside us. How can that be? Well, while he was walking the earth as one of us, Jesus could only physically be in one place at one time, while the Spirit can equip all Christians everywhere. The Holy Spirit living in us is really better than Jesus standing beside us, but that's not how we normally think about the Holy Spirit, is it? It's one of those things that you've thought a certain way and now you're hearing there could be something better. But it's a lot more important than chocolate ice cream. I know it's hard for me to get my mind around. We, we think, I think it'd be so much easier to live this Christian life with, with Jesus just walking right next to me in the flesh. That's got to be easier, right? That's got to be the best thing there is. Witnessing would be easier. Guys, this is Jesus. He'd just be standing right there. I can only begin to imagine just the peace and the joy that would come with Jesus standing right next to me. But Jesus goes, you know what? Having the Holy Spirit is even better than that. Do you believe the Holy Spirit living inside of you is better than what the first disciples had with Jesus walking beside them? Do you believe that it was, as Jesus says, to your advantage that he left so the Spirit could come? This is why I warned us. It's a passage that requires we are open to changing how we think a bit. My hunch is that most of us are not experiencing the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in such a dynamic way that we can wholeheartedly agree with Jesus. The Holy Spirit living us is better than him standing beside us. And I think that there's some obstacles that a lot of us face in experiencing the Holy Spirit. And if we can overcome those obstacles, maybe we could agree with Jesus in verse 7. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. So let's talk about these obstacles that usually get in a lot of our way of experiencing the Spirit. Let's look at a list of some of those obstacles that just stand between us and the Holy Spirit. One obstacle many of us face in experiencing the Holy Spirit is control. We like to control our lives, right? We like to have uh, control, feel like we're in control. But Romans 8.14 tells us those who are led by the Holy Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit leads us. But what happens if the Spirit were to lead us somewhere I didn't want to go. I want to control my life. Letting the Spirit lead takes a level of relinquishing control. Another obstacle in the way of us experiencing the Holy Spirit is fear. Maybe we visited a church or saw some videos online of, of people doing things in the name of the Spirit that we don't quite see in Scripture. We saw it, it felt a bit scary, and we've thought, if that's what the Holy Spirit is, I 
I don't know if I want anything to do with that. And then that fear that, that arises acts as an obstacle between us and the Holy Spirit. Another obstacle that gets in the way of us experiencing the Holy Spirit is comfort. Some of the main things that the Holy Spirit does as you go through the New Testament is the Holy Spirit is there to comfort and counsel us. And that's just an incredible opportunity. But I don't need to experience the comforter if I'm already comfortable. Many of us take so few risks in our faith, pay so few costs, put ourselves in so few difficult situations for Jesus that we don't really need the comforter. Another obstacle we face in experiencing the Holy Spirit is a lack of ministry. One of the main things the Holy Spirit does is empower and strengthen us for ministry. We're going to see this throughout the book of Acts. But too many Christians are not serving the poor, serving their church, or witnessing. And if we're not ministering, then we don't really need that whole entire aspect of what the Holy Spirit does working in us. Another obstacle that gets in the way of us experiencing the Spirit is noise. We live very noisy, busy lives. We have never-ending phone calls, text messages, to-do lists, emails, the TV or music is always on. There's, there's always noise. We've lost that art of silence and, and rest. And it's often in those very quiet moments when we are able to most easily experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then, statistically, most Christians face the obstacle of misunderstanding. And we can't speak the truth enough. The Holy Spirit is not a symbol of God, but God himself. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but a person we can know. So just for a second, we've got the list up here. Just for a second, ask yourselves, which one of these, maybe there's two, maybe there's three, have I experienced in my life that have kind of just stood as an obstacle between me and the Holy Spirit? What, what's what's kind of getting in the way of you being able to experience the Holy Spirit? Because we need to pray for God to remove those obstacles. We need to look at that and we say, uh, we need to get some of them out of the way so we can experience the Holy Spirit's work within us. And as we venture then, to experience the Holy Spirit, we need to remind ourselves how the Bible speaks about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit must be a person we know and experience. So here's three ways that we often find Scripture talking about who the Holy Spirit is, almost feeling about the Holy Spirit is, who the Holy Spirit is, so that we can know and experience Him. First, the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as a gift, as a gift. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Then in Acts 2, 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift, a gift. That's why Jesus can say the Holy Spirit living in us is better than him standing beside us because he's the giver of that good gift. 
I love gifts on Christmas morning. I love that, that time on Christmas morning when you're all around the tree and giving gifts. That's my favorite part of, of Christmas Day. And our family gets around the tree and disperses all the gifts. Those, those, the best ones are the ones that you actually use every day, right? Maybe not your third tie. It's the one you use every day. And you treasure those. You're thankful for those. I mean, when was the last time you purposely left a good gift unwrapped under the tree? You don't do that, right? You take it out and you open it. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit is this, this lavish, unbelievable gift that God gives us, his presence living within us, but far too many never get around to opening the gift. Far too many of us just kind of leave that gift unopened under the tree. If you believe in Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. Unwrap the gift. Be thankful for the Holy Spirit. Run to the Spirit every day. Treasure this gift that God has given you because the Holy Spirit is a gift. Second, the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as a wonder, a wonder. In Acts 1, Jesus is about to ascend to heaven. He's already been resurrected. And he's with his disciples, and he says, you know what? Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes to you. Don't go out and do ministry yet. Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. So all the disciples are waiting in Jerusalem together when this happens in Acts 2, 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You read that and you just say, wow, Holy Spirit came in fire and wind, wow. What a supernatural, wonder-filled moment. The Holy Spirit is the presence of the creator of the universe living in us, inspiring, guiding, strengthening us supernaturally, miraculously. The Holy Spirit living in me really is for my good. He's so much bigger, more awe-inspiring than I could imagine. We must be left, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we must be left with this just this sense of wonder. Think if you were a caterpillar. You've spent your whole life as nothing but an overweight, slimy little worm crawling around one single little piece of dirt. Then you go to sleep for a while and you wake up as a butterfly. Would you casually just say, oh, I can fly? No, of course not, right? You're thinking, what? You just, you have this sense of wonder. I, I can fly? I'm beautiful instead of chubby? I'm new? You would just be in awe. But scripture tells us that that's the same thing that happens to us when we receive the Holy Spirit. We're a new creation when we come to Christ and receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.11 says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. God lives in us. <laughs> that's unbelievable. The Spirit gives us new life. Where's our awe? Where's our wonder? 
We have to allow ourselves to put aside the skeptical materialism of the world and know that the supernatural is not just possible, but is living in us. We have to be awakened to the wonder of the Holy Spirit. Third, the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit as a powerful necessity. After Jesus' resurrection, before he ascends to heaven, he didn't send his disciples right out in the ministry. He didn't do that. He didn't say, go and figure it out. He said, wait until the Holy Spirit comes to you in Jerusalem because they couldn't do what they needed to do without the Spirit. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is a powerful necessity. One of our values here at South Suburban is life transformation. We say this, we will propel each other towards a transforming relationship with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's work is absolutely necessary. We can't do it without him. We can't do life transformation without the Holy Spirit. Which is why when we hear the Holy Spirit living in us is better than Jesus standing beside us, we need to say, okay, I need this. This is, this is a necessity to be living out of the Holy Spirit. We don't need the Holy Spirit's power for ministry because we often don't minister. We don't need the Holy Spirit's power for comfort because we don't put ourselves in uncomfortable situations for the gospel. But we have a mission like those first disciples that we cannot accomplish without the Holy Spirit's help. The Holy Spirit is a powerful necessity. I heard a really good story about that this week. There was once a, a small farm town. Whole town shared one single tractor. And so every year during plowing season, the villagers all took turns pushing the tractor. Some would get behind it, push it. Some would get in front of it and pull it with a rope. And some days their hard work allowed them to even push the tractor 30 feet. Because of their hard work, the villagers were always able to get the fields plowed just in time for the planting season. But one night a farmer found a strange key. He put it in the tractor, started the tractor's engine, and he was able to plow all the fields in a single day. Too many of us are trying to live this Christian life out of our own hard work. We're pushing the tractor. And it might look like we're making a little headway some days through our own effort, but if we would just use the key if we would learn to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we would live an infinitely more joyful and fruitful life. Because the Holy Spirit is a powerful necessity. The Holy Spirit is a gift, a wonder, and a powerful necessity. But too many of us live as if the Holy Spirit does not exist. Too many of us struggle to comprehend that the Holy Spirit living in me is better than Jesus standing beside me because after years of trying to live this Christian life out of our own efforts, we struggle to know there could be something better. So let me leave you with this question because it really made me think for a while this week. 
Somehow tomorrow morning you woke up and the Holy Spirit had been taken from you, would your life look any different? If I woke up tomorrow and my car had been taken from me, my life would look really different, right? But what if you woke up tomorrow and the Holy Spirit had been taken? Would your life be any different? I don't want my life to be explainable without the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to live such a spirit-filled life that I can agree to Jesus. The Holy Spirit living in me really is better than him walking beside me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for this time to come together, Lord. We pray that uh, in the coming weeks and months that you would just help us rely on the Holy Spirit, to be thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit, to live out of the Holy Spirit just as a necessity, not an add-on in our life, Lord. We pray that, that we would seek the Spirit daily and you daily to comfort, counsel, guide, strengthen us, Lord, and that we could be people of you uh, because we are, are worked within through your Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.